Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. May our hearts and minds be attentive to you. Uh, Lord, we want to hear your voice this morning speaking to us. Words that we need to hear, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, two stories that Jesus um, tells, one about fruit, one about building a house. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but my, uh, my gardening skills are minimal, and uh, when it comes to identifying uh, flowers and uh, plants, uh, I'm not particularly good. Flowers, I'm kind of okay with, the kind of, you know, roses and carnations and daffodils, I can spot those. Uh, shrubs and bushes, literally not a, not a scooby, not a clue, it's just... If it's that kind of size, it's probably a, a bush or a shrub. And uh, trees, the same. I literally cannot tell, you know, you can show me any kind of tree, and the only thing I can tell you about it is, well, that's a tree. Unless it's got fruit on it. If a tree has fruit on it, then I can tell you what kind of tree it is, because I can recognise the fruit. I don't know what the tree is, but I know an apple, I know a pear, I know a banana. If I can see the fruit, then I can identify the tree. And that's the, the kind of the picture that Jesus is using in this first story. No tree bears bad fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor a bad tree good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. So if you want good fruit, you go and find a good tree that's bearing good fruit. You're not going to go to, as he says, you know, you're not going to go to a thorn bush looking for figs, or briars looking for grapes. It's obvious. And Jesus says, well, we are like those trees. All of us in our lives, we bear fruit. And he says the fruit that we reveal in our lives is, is what comes out of our hearts. For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So the question is, what fruit is displaying in our lives? Because you can't you know, you can't hide it. Whatever is stored in your heart, that will be revealed in the things that we say and in the things that we do. So what's the fruit? And what kind of fruit are we growing? What kind of fruit would we like to display? Particularly if we are followers of Jesus, what kind of fruit should we be displaying in our lives? Uh, in, um, uh, in Mark's Gospel, uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 20, uh, Jesus is having a discussion with the uh, with the Pharisees, with the disciples, they're having this discussion about um, foods that were regarded as unclean. There were lots of laws around what kinds of food you could eat and not eat, because they thought, well, if you eat the wrong food, that will make you unclean. And Jesus says, well, it really doesn't matter what kind of food you eat, because it kind of goes in one end and comes out the other. He said, it's what comes out of your heart. It's the fruit of your heart that's really important. And he says this, it's what comes out of a of a person that makes them unclean. For from within, out of our hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. So uh, we may be a tree that is growing that kind of Fruit, which is not, um, it's not particularly attractive, is it? You see a tree growing that kind of fruit, you're probably not going to um, run up and grab some to eat. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, uh, talks in a similar way about 
uh, our nature. What is our nature producing? What's coming out of what's stored in our hearts? And he has a similar list to the list of Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, talks about the act of the sinful nature. In other words, the fruit that is displaying in our lives. And he comes up with this list, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It's not a very pretty list. And we, at first glance we may read it and think, oh, that's not me. I don't have that kind of fruit growing in my life, but look a bit more carefully and surely we do. Sexual immorality, what's going on in our, our minds, our thought life, jealousy, fits of race, selfish ambition. We're growing this kind of fruit. In contrast to that, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit, which he describes in these words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now that's good fruit, isn't it? You find a tree growing that kind of fruit, that's attractive, isn't it? Isn't that the kind of fruit that we would like to be displaying in our own lives? If you come across someone like that, you'll probably want to go hang out with them, aren't you? So if someone is displaying fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's really lovely fruit. That's the kind of fruit that I would like to have in, uh, you know, in my life. Uh, so Jesus is saying, what kind of fruit are you growing in your life? Are you, a, are you a kind of a good fruit tree or a bad fruit tree? Which begs the question, well, how do you grow good fruit? How do you grow that fruit of, you know, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all of that, all that good stuff? How do you how do you grow it? Because if you're living a life which is growing the bad stuff, how do you change? How do you, how do you get a tree to change its fruit? You know, how do you turn an, uh, you know, an apple tree into a pear tree? Uh, well, if you want to do something fairly radical and fairly dynamic, you've kind of got to change the tree's its DNA. And that's what Jesus offers us when we choose to follow him. In John's Gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples about growing fruit. And he uses this illustration. He says in John's Gospel, chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if we want to live lives that produce good fruit, that is attractive, that changes the lives of those around us, that, that draws people to Jesus, then we have to be kind of grafted into Jesus himself. We have to abide in him. We have to remain in him. We have to live a life that is rooted in who he is. Uh, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, gives them this kind of advice. And this is good advice for growing good fruit. Have a life that is rooted in who Jesus is and 
Fill your hearts, fill your minds, fill your lives with good stuff. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, uh, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, if you want to be a tree that bears good fruit, then you need to be rooted in the personality and the character and the divinity of Jesus. And you need to fill your mind and your heart with good stuff. Why does this matter? Why does it matter for the gospel? Why does it matter for the kingdom of God? Well, it matters because, as it's sometimes said, if you are a follower of Jesus, you may be the first Bible that someone ever reads. And the Apostle Peter, writing his first letter, gave this advice to the Christians that he wrote to. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask. So Peter presumes that Christians will be being asked about the hope that they have. Why will they be being asked? Because they are displaying good fruit. No one is going to be drawn to a tree where the fruit is rotten. People are going to be drawn to a tree where the fruit is good. And just this week, I, was, uh, I read this from a friend um, on Facebook who was writing about uh, why they came to Christ in the first place. And he now leads a significant men's ministry that reaches thousands of men a year with the good news of Jesus. And he wrote about how he came to faith. He said this, One of the things that initially drew me to Christ was what I saw in those who knew him. Gracious, calm, not provoking hate or bitterness. There was a quiet confidence that did my head in. An assurance that whatever happened, all was well. I didn't hear the language of hate. They seemed to believe the best and give the benefit of doubt. If they did lose it, they were quick to apologise or seek forgiveness. It was a little chapel in Hornchurch, Essex. I saw Jesus in them and it felt otherworldly. I guess it was. I started to read the Bible and over six months I saw what I read being lived out. It was an extraordinary time and in part, in part, it drew me to Christ and led me to do what I do now. Jesus is good news and that good news needs to be revealed in the lives of those who follow him so that other people will ask the question, well, why does your life bear this fruit? Why are you so peaceful, joyful, calm, self-controlled? Why do you have such patience? Why do you love in the way that you do? Well, it's because my life is rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. Out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. What are we storing up in our hearts? Is it the Lord Jesus? That's the first uh, illustration that Jesus gives. Then he goes on to talk about this house. Uh, where are we building our house? It's really the same, he's making the same point, but in a different way. It's all about, well, where is our life grounded? Where is our life rooted? What are the foundations on which we have built our life? And it's really very serious. When you look at the last verse, uh, and you see the consequence of the torrent that strikes the house, you realise that actually this is not just a, a parable, a story about 
you know, um, having resilience and uh, learning to get through the hard times and learning to get through the difficult times so that, you know, when life isn't going smoothly, you have a, you know, you, 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 know, you can carry on. It, it's more serious than that because he talks about a torrent that struck the house and it didn't just do a bit of damage. It collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is not a, you know, a house that gets damaged in the storm. This is a house that is swept away. So Jesus is talking about something really fundamental and really significant and really important. What is the torrent that is going to hit our lives? What's the torrent that we need to be prepared for? Well, let me just read a verse or two from, first of all, from Matthew's Gospel. This is John the Baptist. Uh, talking to people who are coming out to be baptised. And at one point, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders and teachers, they come out. And John the Baptist says to them, he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Hmm. Aren't we talking about the good news of Jesus? Aren't we talking about the good news of God's love expressed in Jesus? Yes, we are. But John the Baptist says, yes, God's love is being revealed, but who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? There is a wrath that is coming. We need to understand this. Um, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 1, this is kind of in the introduction where Paul is beginning to explain what he's writing about. Verse 18, he says the same thing that John the Baptist had said. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. A wrath is coming. We need to understand how this fits into the context of God's love. I don't know what um, image springs to mind when you think of the word wrath, but when I think of the word wrath, what it immediately conjures up is it's, it's a kind of uncontrolled anger. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's someone who has lost control of themselves and is expressing uh, wrath. Uh, I remember uh, one time when my, uh, some years ago, when my, kids, when my kids were little and it was a particular Sunday morning when uh, my wife was away at the time and I had to get the kids ready to go over to church to lead a service. It's quarter past ten. Uh, they're about um, eight, five and three at the time, so quite little. And just as we're about to put their coats on and go out, I just asked one of them if they, if they could just go to the loo. So I knew they'd been to the loo before we went to church. And they just looked at me and said no. And in that moment, they experienced wrath. Because I was so stressed and so needing to get, I just, I lost it in that moment and I became this foaming at the mouth madman uh, that they just wouldn't do what I'd asked them to do. And uh, literally 15 minutes later, I was over in church. The Lord is here. His spirit. But they kind of, in that moment, they experienced, that's not the wrath of God. That's not what the Bible is talking about. It's simply the fact that God is holy. He is awesome. He is majestic. He is utterly perfect in every way. And we're not. And it is supremely good news that God draws near to us. Because he draws near to us because he loves us. It is good news. But because he loves, he must judge. 
If he didn't love, if he didn't care, then he wouldn't judge. But he judges because he cares and because he loves. And so his coming to us is really good news, but it's also really bad news. Because there is a lot in us that needs to be judged. There is a lot in us that will be swept away. This torrent that strikes the house and flattens it, well, that's what happens when God's presence draws near to us. The point of the story is, unless your life is grounded on the righteousness of Jesus, you'll be like that house that is struck and collapses and is swept away. To build this house on the rock, you have to dig down deep. Always in life, if you're anything like me, you want a quick fix. You want it to be quick and you want it to be easy. If you build your life on sand, it may be quick and it may be easy, but it won't last. We have to build a life on Jesus and it is hard work. It takes discipline. It involves sacrifice and it takes time. Growing fruit takes time. It doesn't spring up on the tree overnight. It takes time. You have to dig down through sand before you hit the rock that is Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. I want to suggest to you, what is the sand that in your life, in my life, what's the sand that we have to dig through before we hit the rock of Jesus Christ? I think most of that sand is simply the fact that we think we can do it on our own. We think that we are good enough for God. We know that we're not perfect. We know that we get things wrong. But we look at our lives and we make a judgment on our lives that says, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. I'm good enough for God. And I know that I'm good enough for God because I'm not as bad as that person over there. I'm not as bad as that person over there. So by that measure, by that standard, I'm good enough for God. So I can be self-sufficient and I can have a self-righteousness. That is sand. If that's what your life is built on, then you'll be swept away before the righteousness of God. It's not, well, these are all my good deeds. These are all my bad deeds. They're put in the scale. And as long as my good deeds outweigh the bad, then I'm okay. No. It's about getting rid of the bad deeds altogether so that all that is left is holiness and righteousness and perfection. Well, I can't do that. And you can't do that. And if we seek to build our lives on that basis, then it's sand and it will not last. But if we dig through that, if we're prepared to accept that we can't do it on our own, if we're prepared to accept that our hearts are proud and arrogant and self-sufficient, if we're prepared to accept that actually I do need God, I do need God in my life. If we're prepared to dig down through that deception, then we hit the rock. And the rock is Jesus. And when our lives are built on that rock, then we will stand whatever storms may come to us. Storms in this life, but principally the day when we stand before God on the day of judgment. And he looks at us. And instead of seeing us in all our frailty and imperfection, he sees his son Jesus. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, has this beautiful expression where he says, Our lives, the lives of those who've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. 
So on that day, when God looks at us, what does he see? He doesn't see our unrighteousness. He sees Jesus's righteousness. At the beginning of the service, I talked about the curtain of the temple being torn into, the barrier of sin between us and God being removed, and Jesus on the cross in the moments before he died saying, it is finished. It's done. There is no reason why we should not live lives that bear good fruit. There is no reason why we should not live a life that will not collapse when the torrent comes, the storms of life come, the day of judgment comes. The way that we do it is to be rooted in the love of Jesus Christ, to abide in him, to remain in him and to have our lives firmly planted on the rock that he is. So my hope and prayer for you as you're listening to this is that you would know the love of Jesus Christ and that you would respond to his love by placing your feet firmly on who he is, his character, his love, his righteousness. And as you do so, so your life will change, so you will begin to bear good fruit. So let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much for your words to us. Jesus, thank you for your teaching, which stands the test of time. Thank you, Jesus, in your own life that you revealed such good fruit that you were surrounded always by a crowd of people who were drawn to you. Jesus, may we be drawn to you this morning. May our lives be changed. May our lives be rooted and grounded in who you are. The God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit, wherever we are, we ask it in Jesus' name.